Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Well, this morning we're going to look at um, a specific theme as we run up to Easter. As we run up to Easter, next weekend, Cross Purposes, uh, it's going to be excellent on Sunday morning. It's not going to be a normal preach the way we have or a teaching time as we normally do on a Sunday. It's going to be far more arts-based with music and, and scripture and a very short talk in there as well. The whole idea is that people can experience a bit of what Easter is about, not just be being told about it. But this morning uh, we're going to look at Palm Sunday and, and how relevant that was to the whole Easter program. It's, it's really powerful. I, I was looking at this during the week and I'm, I'm deeply honoured to be able to preach this this morning. I mean, to be able to talk about Jesus yeah. is just an amazing thing. This is not a service we're in today. I'm telling you, to be able to talk about the man who changed the world, which is what we're going to do this morning, we're going to just try and slice into a few moments of his life this morning. This man who existed, this man who was God, this man who died and was raised to life, a demonstration of the creative power of God, the resurrection power of God is absolutely amazing. And I was thinking Palm Sunday will be this kind of gentle easing into Easter. Actually, this is going to be a full hit this morning. This is going to be a full hit. So let's just pray as we, as we enter this subject. Lord God, we thank you, Father, for for giving us your son. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you, Jesus, for, for giving up your rights as God to come to this earth and, and to, to walk a journey with humanity, to, to be birthed as a, as a baby and to grow through adolescence and teenage years, right through the manhood, and to embark on your mission, uh, Lord, from your baptism to your death, Lord, and to do such an incredible thing for humanity, something that no man has ever been able to match or do or to even contemplate. And yet today we stand here before God, saved by grace because of what you've done, Jesus. And so, Lord, as we, we look at these scriptures this morning, we pray, God, that your spirit will, will, will move powerfully through our thinking this morning, through the words that are presented and through our thoughts today. Lord, we want to be stronger. We want to be more determined. We want to be more empowered, more, more set free, Lord, to, to be able to, to do what you came to this earth for us to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I mean, it's so exciting, this topic. Uh, you know, it's just such, let's look at Matthew 21, 1 to 11. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Um, it's, this, this account is in, most, is in all Gospels, actually, and it's um, loosely called the Triumphal Entry. And we're just going to read through it, these 11 verses, such incredible verses. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, he came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Uh, Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied up there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you have them or take them. Uh, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on them. Verse 8, most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. 
Jesus was in the centre of the procession. Say centre. Jesus was in the centre of the procession. That word centre has come up through worship this morning. Be the centre of our lives. Be the centre. He was in the centre of the procession. And the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And uh, as a Palm Sunday message, it's always dangerous, you know, when you put your glasses on to read and then you take your glasses off, everything <laughs> goes blurry. It's, uh, I'm just getting used to that as I'm uh, approaching those mature years. Um, <laughs> enough said about that. Um, but Palms, the Sunday, the Sunday message, um, actually mo- it was mostly cloaks that were put on the floor, not palm branches. You know that, don't you? Uh, you may have realised that in the text there, that it was mostly cloaks, so cloak Sunday <laughs> doesn't have the quite, quite the same ring. But making a personal stand, that's what I believe is going on here. Jesus is making a personal stand. And so the theme, the title for this short message is uh, Making a Personal Stand. It's what Jesus did, he had a choice to do it. Now when we look at God, we see God as being creator, we see God as, well God knows everything so God can do anything. And God, you know, if God is God, you know, little old me, I just have to struggle along, but God really does know everything. God can just do whatever he likes because God is God. He's got all the power. He does. But God chose to become a man in the form of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ existed before creation. We know that from the scriptures. But he came to this earth and appeared as a man, as he born as a baby um, and grew into becoming a man. But he still had to make a personal stand. It wasn't a foregone conclusion that he would be able to do this. Now, God knew that he would be able to do it, but he knew by faith that he'd be able to do it. He still had to do it. And many of us, we walk our journeys knowing what we can do by faith and what we could be able to achieve, but do we have the courage to take the stand? Do we, do we actually have the character, the capacity, the, the intention, the, the, the something within us that says, I can do this? Well, Jesus had to dig deep. He had to do it. And many, many parts of his ministry, you know, he'd said to the crowds or to those he healed, and he healed many, you know, just keep this to yourself. Don't go making a big noise about this. He kept his ministry as quiet as he could in some locations. Now, Palm Sunday, this Sunday before the following weekend, the weekend of his death and resurrection, a whole load of things had to happen. This week, imagine if I said to you, this is your last week on earth. You've got one week to live. You've got one week. I mean, just to even think like that is ridiculous or seems impossible to us. If, I, if you were told by your doctor you've got one week to live, what would you do with your final week? What would you do? What would, what would you do? Would you go to work? Would you get your reports in on time for your boss? You wouldn't be doing that, would you? You'd change everything. You'd, you'd go into relationship mode, I think. You'd be connecting with those you love. You'd be wanting to know, you'd, want, you'd be wanting to make sure you knew where you were going. You wouldn't be thinking, you know what, I'm not so sure about Christianity or faith. Or, you'd want to know. <laughs> you would be absolutely beside yourself with determination to know where it is that you're going to go in the week's time. You'd want to know. You'd want to make your peace with everybody that you knew you had to make your peace with. You'd want to, you'd want to 
leave something behind. You want to leave a reputation. You want to, you, you'd want to influence those who are coming after you, those people you know. You'd want to change people's thinking, wouldn't you? You'd want to influence them. You'd want them to know about you for all the right reasons. You'd want to do all that. You wouldn't want to just be like a... As Vlad once preached, he's gone now, but on the baptism night, the mist that just dissolves. You, don't, you wouldn't want to be just a mist that dissolves sometime this week. You'd want to have some sort of legacy. You'd have, you'd want to have something that you've left as an impression. This is the week. Jesus knew it was going to happen. Did he know every detail of this week? I'm not sure he did know every detail. He just knew the journey. He had a journey and he knew he had to walk it. What did Jesus do to make a personal stand? He chose to do certain things. And we're just going to look at some of those. There are many other things that he chose to do during this week. There isn't time this morning. There's quite a few chapters in Matthew that that look at this journey, right up to Matthew 27 and, of course, Matthew 28, the end of the chapter. But we pick this up in Matthew 21. This week has got five, six, seven chapters of information about it in the Bible. And that's just in the book of Matthew, let alone Mark, Luke and John. Multiple places. So on this journey, what did Jesus do? What did he do? He knew he was going to be crucified. He knew it. He knew. He knew. So what did he do? He started a journey of intention. He started that Sunday with intention. He didn't just chillax, watch a bit of telly, just think, you know, someone else can do my job. He started with intention and it required determination. That's where we all start. We've got to start with an intention. Someone once said the road to hell is paved with good intentions. (laughs) But it's it's intention that has determination that has an outcome. It has to be followed through. It's so easy to start something. It's so hard to continue something. It's so easy to have a bright idea. It's so easy to say, you know what, I'm going to be at the Premier every single week this year. It's very, very difficult to actually commit and do and stand firm. It's very easy on January the 1st to say, my year will change this year. It's very difficult by February the 1st to look at it and realise that you actually didn't do half of what you said you were going to do. But Jesus took a stand. He had a journey of intention and it required determination. He had to dig deep and it was painful for him. Matthew 1, 1, uh, 21 1 says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Bethpage means house of unripe figs. <laughs> unripe figs. It's interesting because later on in Matthew, Jesus talks about a fig tree. In fact, I'm going to try and summarise these few days in Jesus' life, just touch points as we look through the scriptures this morning. Beth Page, the house of unripe figs, it made me think, you know, he started that Sunday from a place where, where the fullness of what he had to do hadn't happened yet. It hadn't happened. The greatest thing he was about to do wouldn't happen till the following weekend. But he knew his whole purpose, his whole mission on this earth was about that next Sunday. He knew it. He knew it. His whole purpose... of coming to earth, his whole purpose of his 30 years before ministry and three years of painful ministry and self-sacrifice was all about this week. Anything could go wrong. Anything could go wrong. He had to take a stand. He had to start that journey of intention. He had to see what was being birthed in his life come to fulfilment. 
Jesus hadn't fully completed his mission until he sat on that, stood on that cross and said, it is finished. He had one week to complete the mission. He had one week to get that done. It takes a real man to do that. It takes someone with immense courage. You know, people who blasely say, oh, Christianity is for weak people. You haven't got a clue. You haven't got a clue of the cost it is to, to stand before society, to stand before your colleagues, to stand before your friends, to watch people ridicule you, to, to, to see the one we follow take a stand like this. The easiest thing in the world would be for him to just say, you know, I'm not sure I, I'm going to complete this. He still had to make that decision. It was a journey of intention. He, in the course of this, this, these few verses, he sends two disciples in advance Let's capture that. Let's take advantage of what he said there. He sent two in advance. He sent two. You know, when we fellowship together on Sunday, it's the beginning of the mission each one of us carry. Ones and twos sent in advance to take the message of Jesus Christ to somebody, to somewhere, to something. What have we been doing with the knowledge, the information, the understanding, the insight, the fullness of the Holy Spirit that's in us. What have we been doing with that? How effective have we been? Have we gone before? He said, go. <laughs> he just said, go. Jesus said, go. Go. What for? To collect a donkey and its colt. Why? To fulfill scripture. You will find a donkey tied. So when God says go, he says he already knows what you're going to find. <laughs> he already knows what you will find when you arrive. He already knows it. So when God says go, you know when he says go. You don't always know what you will find, but he knows what you will find. What you will find is already prepared for you. And Jesus said, untie them and bring them to me. These are all commands, by the way. These aren't like, if you can be bothered, <laughs> if you think it's okay, um, if you get on all right together, <laughs> if you two guys haven't got an argument going on, why don't you go and help me out? It wasn't. This is direct command. Jesus was in the commanding business. I'm telling you, he was not passive. He was direct. He was instructive. He expected certain things to happen. He was gracious. He was immensely humble, but in his character, um, he was direct and he was commanding these guys to do things and they did it. He identified himself in these texts. Um, you know, sometimes people say, well, did Jesus really say he was God? He does. He said it in the text just now. We just read it. You may not have even realized you just read it. Um, it absolutely, he just, it just says it here. And we'll pull it, pull it out in a second. He identified himself. Matthew 21, 3. If anyone asks you what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them. Jesus just told them to tell the guys that the Lord needs them. He was not quiet about his lordship. His, in Greek, kyrios, the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. Jesus did make the stand as God. He did make the stand as the Messiah. He did make it clear. And there are other texts in the New Testament. He was not bashful about who he was. He made it very, very clear. Even before Pilate, you know, it is as you say. This also suggests that the owner would know that he is Lord. Because when you speak to somebody else and say, if I say to someone, um, yeah, Prince needs it, they're never going to let you have it unless they know who Prince is. Are they? They're not going to give you something that is for somebody else unless they know who that somebody else is. So this person knew that Jesus was Lord, but he didn't call him Jesus. He just said, the Lord needs it. So when you go, not knowing quite what you're going to find, someone will already know that the Lord is calling them. Someone will already know. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's amazing. We could just sit on this all, all message, that God is already 
preparing in advance the works for us to do. He's already gone there. He's already, and you don't need to defend who the Lord is. You just need to be the one to say, the Lord is calling. The Lord is drawing. The Lord requires. The Lord. Why? Because God is already ministering to people's lives. God's already ahead of us through the power of his Spirit. Jesus was at a place of intention and it was a battle of spirit over body. That whole week was a battle of spirit. It was mental choices, but a battle of his spirit. Galatians 5.17 in ESV said, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from going and doing the things you want to do. So important. So important. Our spirits and our flesh are at war. Our body wants to do its own thing. Our body is determined to have its own way. We have to get that discipline into our lives that says that I will do what God is speaking to me to do by the Spirit. I have got to make that intentional decision. Jesus had to do it. If he had to do it, we're going to have to do it. His stakes were high. They were very high. C.S. Lewis said, there are far better things ahead of you than we leave behind. There are far better things ahead than we leave behind. There are far better things ahead. But the trouble is we are making a journey by faith and we can't see the twists and turns. We don't always see or know the outcome. We just know that God is with us. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you to the ends of the age. We have got to move and we have to overcome the desires of the flesh and allow the spirit in us to be the one that directs us and guides us. Why do we pray in tongues if you're filled with the Holy Spirit? To edify yourself. Why? To build up the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Last weekend was tremendous. The ser- God just invaded the service. That first service and the second service. Amazing. God, you know, he's always free to do that in this church. This is God's church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus' church. This is what he gave his life for. It's not for the team. It's not for me, a pastor. It's not... It's not for any man. It's for his purpose that we meet. It's for his purpose that we get together. It's for his purpose. Now, I know he calls us to responsibility and gives us the responsibility of ministry and other things, but it's his calling that we're responding to. Jesus had a journey of intention. You know, yesterday, um, I had the great honour of being at uh, Bromley Baptist Church just up the road. 200 people gathered to celebrate um, the birthing of Operation Mobilisation internationally. And of course, last year we had George in the church for the first time in many, many years he came. He's, he's like an elder statesman, George, in his mid to late 70s. But it, to stand in a room with 200 people knowing the amount these people have given. And when you're in a room and there's mostly grey hair, you know, but there's, there's 7,000 new ones in field right now from late teens into their 20s and 30s carrying the responsibility. But the forerunners to that were in the room. What an amazing thing, just to be able to stand amongst people and know, you know, you look at someone, and, and I was only a kid, I was born OM, I was born in India, and I was only involved for six years, naught to six. That, that was my involvement, so really I was just a kid having a great time in various situations on ships and in countries, and you know, I wasn't carrying any responsibility. But I was thinking there, as I sat there and I looked at these people, I thought, you know, these guys have paid a price. There's a room full of people who pay the price. These people, have paid, they've not run their careers. They've, not, they've given up careers. You know, people are talking about how they, they got their first house when they came back from the mission field and they had nothing. No, they're not, 
These were people who sacrificed. They were people of intention. People, people who had heard the call and done something about it. They were doing exactly what Jesus did. And what a party they'll be in heaven. Now each one of us have got the same call. You're not special if you're a missionary. We are all special because we're all called by God. We're all called by Jesus. Now OM now has had over 200,000 people full-time in OM worldwide. And it costs every year just to, just to fuel that organisation, getting on for 90 to $100 million a year. Most of it raised personally by people involved, all by faith. All by faith. There's no piggy bank somewhere. <laughs> there's no NatWest Bank. There's no Lloyds Bank somewhere looking to donate money to Christian work. All by faith. What could we do as a church? What could we do? What could we see released through us? You know, this incredible last week, people from 15 nations were in this hall, around six or seven or eight round tables, discussing countries. How can we plant churches and raise leaders up in countries? It was a surreal experience. It wasn't just a bunch of guys and women getting together to talk about how good Jesus is. (laughs) It was people making decisions. People making decisions. What am I going to do? Norman, you're nodding. I just caught that. He was sitting there involved because he's a pastor, Norman, an ordained AOG minister. Um, We were sitting there uh, and being interactively involved, pastors who've given up years of service to to see God's will be done. Intentionality, the journey requires intention. It doesn't just happen. It's intentional. Second point, it's a journey of obedience. And when you're obedient, you hear the one who instructs and you do what the one who instructs says. And the trouble is if we walk our journeys as Christians never quite knowing if God is speaking to us, how can you be obedient? You can't. You're kind of flapping around thinking what on earth is God saying? We've got to put ourselves to a place where we hear God's voice, where we hear him, where we realise through the scriptures what he's saying, where we are in fellowship with one. You know one of the most important reasons why we are in fellowship is so that between ourselves the prophetic can flow, the ministry of the Holy Spirit can work, that you can hear God speak to you through. Fellowship so often is the catalyst to hearing God's voice speak. Did you know that? Um, George Vo, as he stood up yesterday evening, he said, you know, one of the most amazing things, uh, I think he was quoting a guy called Vic Gledhill, I think it was, and he said in Bromley, um, it may have been another guy actually, came to him and said, do you realise Vehicles are cheap. We could run vehicles to Asia or to the Middle East. That's a way. We could repair vehicles and send van loads of people out. And that's where OM's journey of sending thousands of people to the Middle East came from. They didn't fly. <laughs> they went by road. They went by road. They, they fixed old VW ba- vans and trucks and, and piled in them, gave up everything they owned and sold it all and went abroad. Well, you can't do that unless you hear God speak. George wouldn't have had the idea unless one of the guys in his team was with him. It wasn't George who got the idea. The seed came from somebody else. And it's an arrogant person who says, I don't need to be in fellowship. (laughs) Me and God, we do our own thing. You know, I heard a story just this last week of a guy very, very wealthy. And his wife, bankers, they live in a castle in the UK. Very, very wealthy been doing church in their own castle, inviting their few select friends. They're in a right mess. Why? Because it's not true fellowship. It's isolation. It's it's self-elevation. You may call it something else, but that's what it is. God requires us to be 
amongst each other where it's messy, where it, it hurts sometimes, where people cry, where people laugh, where people misunderstand you, where people get offended, where people spit at you, where people hug you, but where people are with you. Why? Because the Spirit of God has always planned to be in that situation. He, wasn't, he didn't come to make an elite separate group of people. He came to fuel the body of Christ to mobilisation, to action, and that's us. That's what, he came for us. He came for us. The Holy Spirit, the, the work of God is for us. It's for us. It's not for somebody else out there. It's for us. Nothing is impossible to God. It's a journey of obedience. Matthew 21, 4. This p- took place to fulfil the prophecy that said... The prophecy that said, and of course that verse continues, but this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said. Now prophecy is always tested by time. It's always tested. So if you had prophetic words spoken over you last Sunday after the service or during the service, write them down, test them. And uh, we prophesy in part, we know in part. There is no perfect prophet anywhere on this earth, I'm telling you. And when people venerate a man or a woman, they say he's the prophet and they I'm telling you, you've got to be careful because you've got to test it. Write it down. But prophecy is not opinion. Prophecy is not opinion. It will become fact. If it's truly prophetic, it will become fact. And God is letting us know about what he's going to do. It's not optimism. It's not like, oh, who knows? Maybe God might just do something really nice. It will become truth. It's not optimism. It will become truth. It's not optional. It will become reality. Prophecy, let me repeat that. Prophecy is not opinion, it's not optimism, and it's not optional. It is fact that will become truth, and it will be your reality. If God says it, it's going to happen. And we are in the business of needing to know what God is saying. Why? Because we are going to take some gutsy and courageous faith-based decisions. All of us. And we're going to walk together. And one or two of us will fall over, bruise our knees, and we'll have to get somebody else to stand around us and pick us up. But we're going to take that journey. The prophetic, he quotes, the the writer in Matthew quotes, um, verse 5, quotes Zechariah 9, 9. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So Jesus, or the writer, is quoting Zechariah 9, 9 from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, the footnotes in the Bible, in the New Testament book of Matthew, tell you this. But that's what it says in Zechariah 9, 9. This is written thousands of years before Jesus. It was written down. And in fact, Jesus was doing what he knew was written. Because it had to be fulfilled. The prophecies had to be fulfilled. Your king is coming to you. That wasn't keeping Jesus' identity quiet. The Messiah is coming to you. What does it say about him? He is your king. Look, he is your king. He is coming to you. He's coming to you. Look, he's coming to you. And it describes Jesus' character. Righteous. He does what is right. He does what righteousness is when you do what is right. He's victorious. God wins. God wins. He's victorious. Jesus knew he was going to win, but he still had to walk the hard yards. There was no shortcut for Jesus in this week. The week, the passion week, they call it. This week, there was no shortcuts. He knew he was going to win, but he still had to do it. He couldn't sit back and wait for some other solution. He had to do it. There was no other option. He had to do it. He was the destiny of mankind. He was also humble. He was humble. Those three characters, he was righteous. He, he did what was right. He was victorious. He knew he would win, 
and he was humble. Amazing, those three characteristics. Amazing characteristics. If only we had more people who did the right thing, (laughs) did what was right, acted and behaved righteously. And they would do if they knew they were going to be victorious and it wasn't in their strength and then they'd be humble about it. And that's why humility is so important. Jesus deferred to the Father and, in fact, to the Holy Spirit. He deferred, the three of them deferred to one another. But uh, Jesus commanded the, the two disciples and they did what they were told to do. They were told to be involved. They didn't ponder it. They didn't picture it and imagine what it might be like to collect a a donkey and a colt. They participated in it. They moved from pondering, picturing, to participating. They did it. Hebrews 5.8, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Who in this room feels like they're going through some time of suffering right now? You're in good company. You're in good company. It doesn't say Jesus just took his badge of office and sailed through humanity on a white charger. It doesn't say that. It says he was righteous, he did the right things. He was victorious because he knew God's word, he knew the intention, and he was humble, which meant that he had to walk through suffering. Every believer will have to walk through a time of suffering. Every single believer. It's, we come to faith to know how to deal with situations as we go through the suffering that we encounter. Jesus understood it. Jesus understood it. But he stood and he was obedient and he did what he had to do. The guys who came this week on this forum, the forums this week, they had to make decisions. One guy flew in from America for three days. And we knew, he said to me, Chuck, he said, can we make a decision this week, Mark? Can we make a decision to move this thing forward? I said, we've got to make a decision. We've got to. We're going to do it. And then to his credit, he said, when? (laughs) <laughs> it's so easy to say yes it's another matter of putting it in the plan and Chuck said well when are we going to do it I said oh, well we'll do it during Thursday he said when on Thursday <laughs> I said well probably towards the back he said mm, not so sure this is a guy with more wisdom than me he just said I think we should go for it a bit earlier than that okay lunchtime so lunchtime on Thursday in the space of 15 minutes we sat down five people and made a plan that is going to change thousands of lives in Europe this year and going forward. And that plan, we fixed a date in Sofia, Bulgaria to do something that's never been done in Europe before. That decision was made on Thursday and it was announced in the meeting that this is what we're going to do. And it was an extraordinary decision. The men and women that left that meeting were writing, texting, emailing, absolutely humbled by the presence of God who just opened a door of opportunity. Why? Because people got together. But you've got to do something. It has to start with intention and it has to move into obedience. It's so easy not to. It's so easy to think, well, I've got work on Monday. <laughs> I've, got, I've got this to do, that to do. I've got. There's always something to do, but you've got to cut through the stuff to do. And what is it that God's saying to do? What is God saying? You know, God did speak to people last week and many of you heard God speak. But, you know, I was with someone on Friday um, there was another church opening a big facility on Friday. An old friend of mine, we haven't always agreed on everything, but I felt out of loyalty to his friendship, I would, I'd go along to this opening. And I um, was with him. Fortunately, I've known him since he was just a day-old Christian. And uh, I know him on the inside. Most of his team don't know him as well as I do. It was quite interesting. And uh, we had a good time together. But amazing what he's done by faith, this guy. And I was there to celebrate, to stand with him and to applaud it. It was tremendous. And as we looked around this new facility they're opening, 
Um, the guy I was showing us around was one of their leaders, one of their directors. And I started to ask him some really hard questions. And he asked me about our church. And I said, well, you know, by God's grace, you know, over 100 people responded to the gospel last year. Uh, you know, it's just what God does when he wants to do things. And we just want to be people who are willing to let God move. And at that point, he just told me something. And this guy lived near Bromley. He said, you know, and his heart opened. He said, it's so good to hear about people getting saved. He said, my best friend or one of my best friends, he called me on Tuesday this week, broken hearted. His son died on Monday. 15 years old, died. Fifth, this, this week. See, the urgency about getting things done? This week, last Monday. Um, and he had had a condition on off over the years. But nobody anticipated it. Nobody thought something would happen. But he said to me, it's just amazing. He gave his life to Jesus just a few days before. He surrendered his life. He said, I'm going to become a follower of Jesus Christ just a few days before. And I don't know why these things happen. I can't compl- say it. I don't know what it is. But by God's grace, this young man gave his life to Christ. That's in the space of one week. How the world can change in a week. And Jesus' world was about to change. Third point, it was a journey of visibility. He responded and the people responded. Matthew 21, 8. Most of the crowd um, spread their garments on the road. You see, they put their cloaks down, not palm branches. And the others, the remnant, <laughs> cut, went up to trees and cut the branches down and spread them on the road. Um, he made himself visible because that visibility was not only visible to human beings, it was totally visible to the whole spirit world. Yeah. He was making himself fully visible and fully in the firing line. That's what Jesus was doing. That's what he did. And when those people responded by putting their cloaks on the floor, they're referring back to Jewish history, 2 Kings 9.13, where there's history that a king, um, the same thing happened with a, with, with a king in the Old Testament, where they laid the things on the floor, the cloaks on the floor, and they were doing the same for Jesus. They knew he was Lord. They knew he was king. They knew he was. They knew what he was about. But the crowd is always fickle. You know, one week later, that crowd, in fact, it wasn't even one week later. It was five days later. That crowd was saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. That's the crowd. If you want to be popular in the crowd, you'll never survive as a Christian. You have got to have substance. You've got to be determined in your heart to make the right decisions. Popularity doesn't get you anything. It just gets compromised. Um, they laid palm branches. Why? Palm branches were a symbol of Jewish nationalism and victory. They thought he was going to be the king that was going to chop the Romans apart. But that wasn't the plan. It was the, the plan was that he would be a king that destroys the work of the evil one, to destroy the work of darkness. But it makes me think, what will we lay down? What have we got that's in our lives? Something we own. What is it that we need to lay down? What is it that we need to work for and lay down before God. There's some pictures in here. What is it that we need to lay down? Ask ourselves the question, what is it that I need to lay down as I follow this journey with Christ? The crowd really recognised that he was the Messiah. In fact, if you read the ESV in verse 9, it says, they said, Hosanna! Hosanna to the Son of David. You probably remember those words. Hosanna. It doesn't say that in the New Living, but ESV it does. And Hosanna means save now. So the crowd is shouting, save now, save now. And five days later, crucify him, crucify him. Because they didn't understand. You won't understand biblical things unless you get with God. You need to be with God to understand biblical things. Extraordinary. And of course, the Son of David, it links back to our, our Better Life series that we just recently finished. So, he first revealed himself in the crowd, 
then in the town, and then in the city. It's progression. And as a church, as we have confidence to reveal ourselves, to, to do the right things, sounds like someone's opened a bottle of champagne. Is it someone's birthday back there? Um, anyway, ignore that for a moment. I shouldn't have uh, drawn attention to that. But, um, you know, he created uproar, verse 10. The entire city of Jerusalem was in uproar as he entered. It was in uproar. You will create uproar if you're a strong faith based believing Christian you will create uproar what an amazing uproar excellent Um, standing out in the crowd will create immense city influence you've got to we've got to we've got to be willing to stand out in the crowd you know I'm I'm throwing lots of little challenges out here and hoping that God by his spirit some of these things will register and resonate with you because we need to respond in a few minutes but um, A.W. Tozer said uh, refuse to be average refuse to be average refuse to be average let your heart soar as big as it's able to refuse to be average this aw tozer no longer alive now a great writer refuse to be average we don't want to be a church full of average people we want to be people that excel we want to be visible we want to be visible and you know what happened we didn't read it in the text here but the first thing what was the first thing jesus did when he went into jerusalem went to the temple and what's the first thing he did when he went to the temple he went in and he turned over the money changers, the people selling doves for sacrifice, the people who were trading in, in the courtyards of the temple. And what did he say? My house is a house of prayer. What did he do the beginning of this week before his death? My house will be a house of prayer. Guys, prayer is where the power is. You will not survive in your faith and grow if you don't pray. Prayer is where the power is. That's why we have a prayer meeting every week. That's why we advertise it. Why? It's not because we want to be religious. It's because prayer is where the power is. George said last, uh, last night with the OM thing, 50 years of incredible ministry influenced thousands, millions of people. Millions of people, that movement. And many other organisations. Millions. He said prayer is where everything starts. Everything. Every week the OM guys are praying. Every week. In fact, they pray every day. If we want to see things move, we've got to pray. Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. That's why we have prayer meetings. And George said yesterday, it's too few churches pray anymore. Churches don't pray. They don't have prayer meetings. And if they do, one or two turn up. I've got to encourage you guys. It's going to be the one thing I push, 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 push. Community days are great, but prayer meetings are where the power is. Prayer is where the power is, personally and corporately. And then what happened? I'm going to summarize with this. In this wind-up, of this week what happened you may never have heard it presented like this but Jesus knew that he was the Passover lamb it was a Passover week and Passover was all about the sacrifice of a sinless spotless lamb for the sin of the person with the sacrifice and every time you did something wrong under the law you had to sacrifice the shedding of blood brought forgiveness of sin and Jesus knew he was the spotless lamb so Sunday he enters Jerusalem he clears the temple He healed loads of people, by the way, and said, my house will be a house of prayer. Then he went to Bethany. It's interesting, he went to Bethany three times in the next couple of days. Monday Monday morning, he got up, he saw a fig tree, and he cursed the fig tree because it hadn't got fruit on it. And then there's a whole string of events. He went straight to the temple, and he started teaching. And then he went back to Bethany that evening. And then on Tuesday, he got up early, and they looked at the fig tree again. And they reflected on the fact that this thing had withered because it had no fruit. And in all this time, Jesus goes to the temple. And what's he doing? There's five chapters in Matthew. He's talking about parables of the future and what it is to have faith. 
He's to, and this is what he's doing in his final week. He's teaching these guys. And he goes back to Bethany. Then on Wednesday, he comes back and he teaches in the temple again. He goes to where the people are. He's teaching. He's teaching the most important truths he could leave them with in that final week. And then they started to prepare for the Passover. And on Wednesday, when all the kids are going, wow, he really is the son of God. He is the son of David. The, the Pharisees didn't like it. Their pride and arrogance. That's when the plot kicked in. Wednesday night. Thursday morning, what do you do? He starts to teach the disciples again about the new covenant. And what happens on Thursday evening? This is like, just imagine this Thursday evening. Last Supper. It's Passover preparation. They go to the upper room. They get together. He brings in the new covenant on the Thursday night. That new covenant that's going to change the world. He brings it in. The bread and the wine. Communion. He brings it in. He explains. He washes the disciples' feet. He reveals the one who's going to betray him. And then he goes to Gethsemane, the garden of the oil press, where everything that's in you gets squeezed out. That's where he went. Could you not stay for one hour and pray? Could you not pray for one hour, Jesus said to those around him. We know there's pressures on us. Could you not pray for one hour? He's betrayed. And then after midnight, Judas turns up with the temple guard. Friday morning now, early hours. Now it's all accelerating. Now the action's really starting to happen. He's laid the ground rules. Now it's all, it's all happening like clockwork. Uh, by 6 a.m., the Roman trials begin. 6 a.m. It was hard enough getting up this morning. 6 a.m. He's in front of Pilate, the Roman governor. Then he's sent to Herod because Pilate is you know, reluctant to get involved. Then, then Herod sends him back to Pilate. So by 7 a.m., he's in front of Pilate. And just after 7 a.m., he's handed to the crowd. 7 a.m. in the morning. 8 a.m., he's flogged and beaten. This is this coming Friday. He's flogged and beaten, and he starts the journey to Calvary. 9 a.m., the crucifixion starts. By 12, it is finished, and there's darkness over the whole land for three hours. You have to read the whole narrative. There isn't time this morning to go through it. By four o'clock, there's an earthquake, and we're going to have an earthquake as our evening before, before our week of prayer and fasting. And then he's buried on Friday. And on Sunday, he's resurrected. Worship team, let's join me. That's it. That was his journey. That was his journey. A journey of intention. A journey of obedience. A journey of visibility. And ultimately... A journey of sacrifice.